Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week. All right. Another week. Here we are. Here we are with another question. Yet another question. Thank you so much for your questions. And thank you for your views. We are just blown away by the feedback we get and so grateful for all of you who are listening. If you have ever found our show to be helpful, please leave a review so that we can help spread the word and make America financially literate so we can stop sitting in the room together. <laughs> well, we don't want to incentivize people to go show the podcast to everyone so they can finally stop listening to us. So yeah, that's the whole point. The whole point is to make it so everyone's financially literate so we can just surf more and do other things. Yeah. And and for those, a lot of people do submit questions. And I think we have a lot more questions coming in each week than we can address. Yes. So do want to say we do acknowledge and we do kind of read every single question. Yes. And kind of mentally group them of how should we respond to these or can we combine some together? So just because we have not responded to it does not mean we are not looking at it. We certainly are. And we just want to prioritize certain questions based upon the types of questions we're getting in and what we think might be most helpful. Yes. And there'll be some questions we've done in the past where we'll take a few questions and kind of almost hit like a rapid fire, ask me anything type episode that will come soon. Okay. So the question today is from Kara. Thank you for writing in Kara. And she says, hello. I recently started listening to the podcast and have learned a lot. So thank you. You're welcome. And I'm 30 years old and have close to half a million dollars in a taxable brokerage accounts. Amazing. While I was investing, I was not targeting a specific asset allocation. I now realize my portfolio is very heavily concentrated in large domestic stock funds. So large cap domestic stock funds. My question is, how do I go about rebalancing to achieve a more diversified portfolio while considering the tax implications and market cycles. Hmm. Ooh, what a nuanced question. Yeah. I want to thank you, Kara, for the question. And I think she clearly realizes the need to be well diversified. And it sounds like, and probably for the best. Yeah. Hasn't been so diversified the last few years, but she's owned the thing that's probably done the best the last few years. Yep. But now it's a matter of how do I get out of that with also realizing that anything I do is going to maybe incur a tax hit. Because this isn't like a 401k where I can just rebalance with no tax implications. This is a taxable brokerage account. So anything that you sell that's gone up in value is going to incur some tax hit or tax liability. Yeah. So if James bought something for $100 and now it's worth $200 and he wants to go sell it, if it's been more than a year and you want to go sell that, you're going to pay taxes on the $100 gain that you now have in your portfolio. Yeah. And then depending upon how much income you have and the state that you're in, you're going to have different tax rates to deal with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where should we start? I think we just start with, well, where are you now? (laughs) I would just want to know more, Kara, about, well, how are you actually invested? So, you know, if it really is all large cap domestic, and I'm assuming domestic means US stock funds, well, you're in a boat where everything's done really well for a long time. 
large cap tech stocks specifically have done really well until most recently when they've gone down a little bit in value in January. But even then, there's still so much upside from the original bottom Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's potentially a lot of, I could get why you'd want to diversify out of it. But I just want to know more about where you currently are. Yeah, where you currently are. And then where do you want to be? So Mm -hmm. before just saying, how do you start to do some changes? It's good to understand what is the right asset allocation. Yep. Which should be based upon a few different things, some of which are. Yeah, absolutely. So from there, I just want to know what well, I think you could go even higher level for a second and just ask, well, what's this money actually for? And from that, we could use a few criteria to look at, well, what allocation might you want to have then? Right. You know, for example, if Kara wants to use this money in a year to go buy a home, then we're in a lot of trouble. It can be invested a lot differently than if <laughs> yeah. it's this is money for 20, 30 years down the road to retire on. Exactly. If, if you think like, hey, in a year from now, I'm all in US large cap stocks, but a year from now, I want to use this money to go buy, a, put a down payment on a house. And I have enough even after my tax bill of selling these funds right now to get that down payment. I would be personally pounding a table to get you to go sell those funds mm-hmm. because the time horizon is so short. I'd be really worried about you because mm-hmm. I don't know what the market holds for us in the next six to 12 months or the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So the shorter your time horizon, the more uncertainty there is in terms of what can you expect right. for these investments to do for you. Yeah. Now, if on the other hand, Kara, this money's for like maybe retiring or you're in your thirties and you're like, you know, by the time I'm in my fifties, I just want some financial freedom baked in. I might want to do other things in my life. Well, and there's no need for the cash in the funds right now. Well, then I wouldn't be as concerned about how quickly we get this oriented to the right allocation that you ideally want. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I think that the first is come up with that right asset allocation, which is really determined by what you need the funds for. Yep. And then understand that that asset allocation that you should have is driven by things like your time horizon. It is driven by things like what's your comfort level with how the markets work. Just those types of questions. Yep. And then you have to start understanding, you know, okay, I know where I am today. I know where I want to be in the future. How do I get from point A to point B Mm -hmm. in the most tax conscious way? Yeah. Yeah. But also in the most investment conscious way, which is the more concentrated you are, the more risk you're subjecting yourself to with the market downturn. Yeah. I mean, if I want to get really geeky for a second, so one of the credentials I have is a CFA, it's Chartered Financial Analyst designation. It's basically like what most of the portfolio managers are going to have if you go read the like fine print of a, any fund that you own. And one of the things that we're taught in the curriculum is there's this idea of risk and return, which we've talked about before. And then one of the ways that we can think about the risk and return that you want to have ideally in your portfolio is we can give these kind of touch points like time horizon, like we mentioned before, if it's really, really short time horizon, we probably want to be more conservative. If it's a really long time horizon, we can be more aggressive. And then we're going to go look at, are there any legal constraints? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're not saying that it is here, but if this was written in a trust such that these funds had to be utilized for specific circumstances, well, then we might have to set up an asset allocation that could allow that to occur. Mm-hmm. Then we go look at taxes and we're like, well, how thoughtful do we want to be about taxes? How thoughtful we want to be about taxes relative to the risks that we're taking. Mm -hmm. That might tell us how quickly or how slowly we're willing to move out of these positions. Yeah. And then liquidity is another important one. That's just looking at, well, how fast do I need to be able to turn this into cash? But also you could think about how stable do I want that cash to be? Mm -hmm. Because that's another circumstance, right? And then there might be a unique circumstance. Like you might want to put a constraint on your investments. Like I'm only going to invest in 
sustainable funds moving forward or mm-hmm. something specific. Well, then once you have all these components, you kind of just start creating your own solution because you've thought through those specific touch points. Right, right, exactly. And once you've thought through that, then you start building out a roadmap from of how do I get there? Yes. You know, let's say, so she's got $500,000 in big US large cap stock funds. Yep. You know, let's assume maybe she also wants some small companies, maybe some international, maybe some bonds, maybe some, who knows what it is, but let's assume she's identified her target. What's the next step? Is this something she should do all at once? Is this something that should be done over time? Does it depend? Yeah. How do you start thinking about that next step? It's our core answer of it depends, right? So first things first, if you just think about big picture right now, let's say Kara decides I want to be 100% invested in the stock market. I don't want any bonds, but I want to have a global exposure. Well, right now the global exposure is about 57% of the world's the United States. I think it's around 29% is international developed. So that'd be like the UK and Japan and European countries, Australia, and then Emerging markets is the rest, which I think is around 14%. I don't know if all of that adds up. If it doesn't, I apologize. <laughs> it, it at least comes close. I <laughs> yeah, think it does. It's yeah. close. But so that's like China, Brazil, India, right? So like you could quickly see, well, wow, we could take almost 40% of this portfolio, which is 100% equities and go reallocate. Yeah. And that's not even reallocating within the US out of just large cap into mid cap and small cap. So you have to make those decisions for yourself, how you want the portfolio to look, And then you want to look at how quickly do I want to get there? Mm -hmm. And I would look at things like, do I get long-term capital gains treatment if I sell out of these positions? I would also want to look at what positions do I just simply want to keep Mm -hmm. because they're okay to keep. And ideally I can keep things perhaps that have the lowest cost basis, meaning they have the most gain in them. Mm -hmm. Well, that can let me move out of other positions pretty quickly. Yeah, I like that piece. And that's what I wanted to touch upon of my guess is this, 500,000 in a brokerage account wasn't from one single contribution that's made at one point in time and all has the same gains. You might look at that and, and hypothetically, what if Kara, say, eight years ago, put a big tranche of money or put a big investment down and mm-hmm. it's grown and say three months ago, she put another big chunk of money down and right. it's grown. Right. Well, you look at the total gains on the portfolio and you might say, oh my gosh, there's a lot of gains in this portfolio. I don't want to sell everything and just diversify. But not every single investment has the same cost basis, which means not every single part of that investment would have the same tax implications if you were to sell it. Yep. Do you go back to the investments that were eight months ago? Is that, is that the number I use in my example? Yeah, we'll keep going. Just keep going. I'm you're just going to keep going. Okay. Yeah, you're doing great. And you want to be mindful. Of, let's assume just for a second, whatever was invested eight months ago doesn't have any gains, but was invested eight years ago does. Mm-hmm. Well, could you take the money that was invested eight months ago sell only those shares of and course. start to rebalance. Yeah. Now what you're doing is you're not touching the shares that have the highest gain. You're just touching the shares that you can sell mm-hmm. with little to no implications and use that to rebalance. Yep. I think the big thing I would look at kind of highlighting all of this is what's the risk of both? What's the risk of selling? What's the tax risk and what's the investment risk? Right. Well, the tax risk is easy enough to quantify. Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to pay in taxes if you sell. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if we're just going to avoid paying taxes if we just defer it. Mm -hmm. So it's not, do I pay taxes? Yes or no. It's, do I pay taxes now or do I pay them in the future? Sure. So we know what taxes are going to be. With the portfolio, what's the risk of that? Well, the risk of that being not diversified enough 
could be a whole lot more than say 15%, which is sure. what the kind of core long-term capital gains tax bracket is. Kind of comes back to what are the goals of the portfolio and how willing are we to let this thing have a downturn and have to come back and all those things. Cause like, you know, US stock market now, you know, history never repeats, but it can rhyme. And like the valuations that are sitting in some of these companies kind of have a feeling like the original .com where you start to get valuations that are kind of just don't make sense. And as a market, we had another 10 years thereafter when it finally did come back where we didn't really get much return. Right. So there's a balance of like, do I, you got to find the trade-off that works for you, basically. <laughs> I think that's a better way of saying what I was trying to say. Yes. Of If I sell now, I know I pay taxes, call it 15% tax rates yeah. on the chunk of gains. Yeah. If I don't sell now, the downside is potentially a lot more. Now it's still diversified. It's not like it's yeah. just one company or two companies, but the downside you have to look at it in terms of underperformance versus what it would have been had it been diversified. Yep. And the framework I would think through if I were in Kara's situation is I'd get out a spreadsheet or you'd even have it on your custodial platform, hopefully. But like, here's all the positions that you have. What is your cost basis? Meaning what did you pay in and how much of a gain is there on these assets? Yeah. And then you just ask yourself the first question is if, now I'm not saying you do this, but you just go look at like, let's just pretend it's a quarter million in and a quarter million of gain. And you just say, okay, let's assume I sell everything today. I'm gonna have a quarter million dollars of gains. How much do I pay in taxes by doing that? And I wanna know what's my long-term capital gain, which will either be zero, 15 or 20%. If your income is at a certain level, you'll have to pay an extra 3.8% for Medicare tax. And then if you're in a state that charges taxes on gains, like in the state of California, it's just considered ordinary income. So you know what that is. Mm -hmm. And then you just know like, okay, if I sell everything, I have this dollar amount left over and I can totally repurpose it. How do I feel about that? Mm -hmm. Know how you feel, know what you would do. If the next thing you could do is you could just go, okay, here's what I have. Maybe you're saving every month and you have money to go put in this taxable account. Because by the age of 30, having a half million dollars in a taxable account, clearly there's some form of savings or mm -hmm. gifting or something happening here. Mm -hmm. And so if I have money that I can put in on a recurring basis, maybe instead now I just choose, you know, I'm just going to go build out the other components that I want to have in the portfolio, yep. but I'm not going to go sell right now because I'm okay accepting that risk. Yeah. And then the final version would just be, okay, I know I want to have, I'm just making something up, an 80-20 allocation with these specific domestic and international emerging markets and, and this. And then I put some tolerance bands on it, which basically just means I give some parameters for when I'm going to buy and sell stuff. Yeah. And then I just do that moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Simple enough. And I would say the one thing I would add to that is we know what Kara has in her taxable account. Make the assumption she has another five hundred thousand dollars in a four oh one K account. Totally. So five hundred thousand taxable, five hundred thousand in a four oh one K. And I'm just gonna make a super simple example. What if she wanted fifty percent large cap US stocks and fifty percent international? Yeah. Well could she just rebalance her entire four oh one K, which doesn't have any tax consequences, mm -hmm. to be all international and now her overall portfolio looks like what it should look like. It's just broken down differently. Yes. That really only works if you're assuming your taxable brokerage account is for the same goal or same purpose as yes. your 401k because you can kind of understand what your target allocation is and fill it between the two of them. If you think your taxable account say for a home purchase like that example, yeah, in your 401k's for long term, I wouldn't use that. I exactly. wouldn't do it that way. You just it's only if they're for the same goal. But that's exactly. what we're doing it. Exactly. Yeah, that's why I'm a big fan of mapping accounts to goals if it's possible. 
especially I should say when it's needed. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good rundown of how we would think about things. And I love that addition of looking at the full balance sheet looking at the qualified accounts, because honestly, you might have an HSA as well that you're saving too. And if you're not utilizing it, because we've talked about it in the past, how it's the, an amazing savings vehicle. Yet again, you might have your 401k and your HSA yeah. working for you in addition to this taxable account. But I think that's a lovely way to end. Is there anything that you want to mention? I would only add people get so hung up on the tax piece. Like, yes, of course, if we can save and avoid and defer taxes, we want to do it. But people get so hung up on that sometimes that they end up losing money in the long term because it prevents them from doing the right thing mm-hmm. at the right time. Mm-hmm. So yes, be mindful of taxes. And for example, Kara, if you know that next year you're going to take a year off or have a sabbatical, or you're just going to have a low taxable income year. Such a good point. Do this next year. Absolutely. But if income is going to be the same or even potentially grow over time, yes, those could be reasons to start thinking about doing this sooner rather than later. Absolutely. Excellent points all around. I think the only other thing I would add is if, because Kara doesn't mention, because there's so much we don't know. But another thing is if Kara likes to give to charities and Mm. she has a lot of savings coming in, another thing is she could potentially be gifting the lowest cost basis, meaning the thing that has the most gain in it could potentially be gifting that to donor advised funds and things like that, which would help reduce her tax bill by that gift. And it would also help not have to pay that taxes. Now that said, that's when you start hitting itemized deductions, which starts getting really, really specific for the tax code, but it's something you can look into. I guess even if you aren't itemizing, say she's going to do a $10,000 gift to a charity, to a church, to whatever. Yeah. Just because she's going to do it, it's still beneficial to do that. Even if you don't get the itemized deduction, do that 10 K using shares and then put that 10,000 instead of using that as the gift, put that in your brokerage account and use that to start purchasing some of your other stuff. So that's a good point. I would just be a fan of doing that, like front loading it. Yep. (laughs) I really want you to get that benefit, Kara. Agreed. Well, I think that's a good overview of this. Thanks so much for the question and please keep them coming. All right. See y'all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.